Well, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn in your Bibles, your prayerful attention to that second reading that I read to you in your hearing, the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 14. This morning we read, we thought of the floating accent there in the Old Testament in 2 Kings and the 6th chapter. And I read this passage where we have not a floating accent upon the waters, but we have Two men walking on the Sea of Galilee. One, the Son of God, who became the Son of Man. What we mean by that, what the Scriptures mean, he is referred to as the Son of God, for he is eternally God, the Son. But there was a time that he became the Son of Man, that is, he took on our nature, bone of our bones, flesh of our flesh. There was a time when God was not incarnate, that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah that the virgin shall be with child and shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted meaning God with us. And the Apostle Paul says God was manifest in the flesh. Despite what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, Jesus Christ is very God. Emmanuel came into this world, lived amongst sinners, and died for his sheep, laid down his life for his sheep. We want to come upon the scene here in Matthew chapter 14 and consider, with the Lord's gracious help and enabling, the events that take place and Peter's words as he exclaims, as he, Peter, goes out and he ventures upon this raging sea, He goes out to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. The wind and the waves blowing over the ship. It was a dark night. And we read of the fear of the disciples in this ship. And Peter calls out to the Lord. For they see one. And he appears even, they think, is as a ghost or a spirit, but it is the very Lord. And I want us to think about Peter's words here tonight. Although Peter here is a saved man, in the physical sense, he cries, Lord, save me. He's gone out to meet the Lord, but then I want us to think about that in a spiritual sense. Because what we see here, Peter We see he goes out by faith. He is in great fear. And he doesn't go for a walk around on the ocean like it's some kind of novelty. But he goes straight to the Lord Jesus, for he himself is in fear. And let me say these are true words of every Christian. There was a time he cried, Or she cried, every Christian cried, Lord, save me. But that is a continuous expression of the Christian life. Save me. The Christian will be called out to do things by the Lord. Peter here came out into the ocean. The Lord bid him come. He goes out to the Lord because he wants to be with the Lord. The Lord is the place of safety, not the boat. 
The cry is, save me. And for the believer, Christ is that place of safety for every believer. And I want to address the unbeliever here tonight, because this is what the unbeliever begins to do as the Lord does a work in his soul. We read there from Joel chapter 2. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter quoted those words on that great day of Pentecost. He quoted those words, as we will see, from Joel. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I want to express to you tonight, I trust with great clarity, that the Christian life, for those of you who are not Christians, is one, although the Lord saves us for time and eternity, we continue to cry out, Lord, save me. Save me from what? Save me from my sin. Save me from this world. Save me from the devil. Save me from all kinds of evil. He continues to cry out, Lord, save me. There are many lessons to derive from this marvelous picture of Scripture. I believe it's very analogous of the Christian life of faith. And we want to think of that. The Christian life of faith has an ongoing work of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That never stops. From the day that the Christian is first born again to the day that he is called to be with Christ, he continues to cry, Lord, save me. Have mercy upon me. Help me. I'm weak. I will perish without thee, O Lord. We want to think on these things here tonight. Notice verse 29. And he, that is the Lord, said, come. And then when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. To do what? It says to go to Jesus. Not to have some entertainment, but to go to the Lord. And that's the Christian life. May I say it? We're not here for entertainment. The Lord saves us that we might be close with Christ. That we might know him and fellowship with him. There's so much that would pass for so-called Christianity today. That is not Christianity. It's so far from the Scriptures. I, I want to, I trust, develop the things that we have before us here this evening. And he was afraid and beginning to sink. Notice when he saw the wind boisterous. He took his eyes, as it were, off Christ. And he began to be afraid. Let me say that is true. For every one of us, even when we're saved, if we take our eyes of him, we begin to see all things around us, and we fail. But the Lord is unfailing, unfailing. He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. So we want to think on these things here this night. But verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. That's wonderful, isn't it? The Lord didn't leave him, 
But the Lord stretched forth his hand and saved Peter. First of all, let me set the context of these verses before you. These events take place here in Matthew chapter 14, about one year before the Lord's death. Remember, his ministry was three years. From that time of his baptism in the Jordan until his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So three years was he with the disciples. And uh, if you read the earlier part of this chapter, look at verse 12. Just after John the Baptist had been put to death, we read in verse 12, and his disciples came and took up the body, that's of John the Baptist, and buried it and went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the city. So there is a great mass of people coming now. And you notice as the procession moves on here after the death here of John, many mourned and disciples came to him and he comforted them. But he leads them, notice if you notice on there, away from Capernaum, where they at that point were further northeast, we could say of the northeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it was there, in that very place, as he walked along the banks of the sea, that many began to follow him. And not far away from that place, outside, there was a city there, Bethsaida, Bethsaida, and upon a hill in that area, he fed over 5,000 men, plus there were women and children. Some estimate perhaps a over 10,000 people altogether. Just alone, there were 5,000 men and fed them with just a little bread and fishes. And there was, again, the same left over. It was a glorious miracle. And at that time, the people wanted to take him to be king because remember, the Jews are under Roman occupation at this particular time. And they wanted to make him king. The Messiah's come. He, he will, they were thinking in their minds, he'll liberate us from the Romans. But the real liberty that they needed was liberation from sin. And many follow him. And he says, you seek me because your bellies were filled. You seek me for temporal things. Not so much because he was the Messiah. But at this time... They follow him round the sea to the other side. He goes across the sea with his disciples. He sends them that night after that great miracle. And he goes up to a mountain to pray. We read that here. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Of course, he's praying for the disciples. He never needed to pray for himself but he's praying for their safekeeping. He sent the storm because he is God. He is over all things. He who spoke the storm and the waves into silence and to be still is the one who sent the storm. Remember what he said to Peter. Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Not just at this time, but at other times. He was always prayerful for his people. And so we notice, when evening was come, verse 23b, he was there alone. And uh, 
The time now is about six in the evening. We read in the verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now we read of the watches in the night, the fourth watch of the night. He goes, first of all, the first watch would have been six in the evening. But now, much later on in the night, as the night is far spent, and you can imagine the disciples very tired and weary, rowing against the waves, battling against these things, which the Lord has brought upon them for their good. We read how in the verse 25, how in the fourth watch of the night, that would be somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., when the disciples are most tired and weary for all this rowing and the tossing about, but it's still dark. And the Lord appears in the midst. He who prayed for them comes out for them, ever mindful of them, the wind contrary to them. Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Notice, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. You can imagine the weariness of the mind and the body, and thinking now this is it. We're going to capsize and know more than that, they think there's a spirit. It is a spirit, they said, and they cried for fear. They were overcome with fear. All this has happened to them. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now, Peter's words, they're very striking, aren't they? Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, bear in mind, they're in great fear. Peter's in fear, all of them. But he sees the safest place is to go straight to Christ. Bid me come to thee. Grant me permission. You see, Peter... He wasn't being a maverick here, as some suggest. But Lord, bid me come to thee. I, I will not come if it is not thy permission. And the Lord grants the permission, verse 29, and he said, come. That's all he had to say. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, and you can imagine the wind and the waves, and these things haven't stopped. The seas are raging. It's darkness. It's a fearful sight. It says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, my friends, that is faith. Because there before him is the object of his faith. He trusted in the Lord. How so? Well, you think of what the Lord had done in this man's life. Peter was a hardened seaman, wasn't he? If you turn to Luke's gospel and uh, that fifth chapter, and as you're turning there, Peter here, you see he begins to sink and he says, Save me, Lord, save me. 
He went out in faith and he, he takes his eyes off the Lord because he, he fears all that is going around him. But here what we have encapsulated, as we will see, is the way in which Christ meets those who come to him by faith. They cry, save me. And the Lord does. But I want you to think here just for a moment. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. This is when Peter first meets the Lord Jesus. And well, we don't know for sure. He perhaps met him before. He may well have known him. But this is the time that the Lord Jesus calls him. And he is given now first-hand knowledge of exactly who the Lord Jesus is. It's on that day when the Lord Jesus is preaching there upon the seashore, and there's a vast crowd before him. And the crowds have come to gather to hear what this one has to say. He commanded great authority, and they've come to hear. Now notice verse 1. And it came to pass that the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gesenaret. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. The night's already been spent, as we'll see, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And by the way, of course, that's Peter's name. He's later called Peter, which is Simon's, and prayed him that he should be thrust out a little from the land. Why? So that he could preach from this little boat. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Verse 3. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And you know, you notice Peter or Simon Peter's answer here, answering and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. Now, I've often pointed out the simple fact. The Lord Jesus commands him, there in the verse 4, to cast down the nets. Plural. Peter had more than one net. But the Lord Jesus says, in verse 5, or rather, Simon says, I will let down the net. Half-heartedly. He takes one net. And he casts it down. Then not before long, as soon as he does... Peter says, look, we've been out all night, but I'll just do it. If that's what you say, I'll do it. It's not long after, there's a massive tug upon the nets, and they cannot bring the fish in. And the boat is just about to sink. They bring in, they haul in the great catch, and Peter is completely overwhelmed with what has just taken place. The boat is about to sink, and Peter, he fell down amongst the fishes in the boat. Completely overwhelmed. And you can imagine the scene as it dawns upon him who this is before him who sent the fishes into the net. He who he questioned. He who he seemed to grumble and complain against. And what does Simon Peter do? Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It dawned upon Peter now who he was dealing with. The very creator of the heavens and the earth. 
the one who sent the fishes into the net, the one who made the seas and the sky. It's little wonder that he went out now upon the sea. And I trust we would too if we say we're Christians. And the Lord Jesus says, come, we would go. Why? Because that is faith. And every child of God has faith, not a nebulous faith, not a faith in faith, but faith in the Son of God. He is the object of our faith. But when things go wrong, what do we do? Peter began here, we turn to this chapter. In Matthew 14, he begins to sink. He sees the trouble all around. And he cries, Lord, save me. Now, this is true in the spiritual realm, isn't it? Save me from what? Well, he was worried for his life here. But the Lord had upheld him upon the sea. And he cries, save me. Save me. I want to think on these three words, simple words here tonight. Lord, words of Peter, save me. First of all, the word Lord. You see that? That's the all-important word. Lord. He's not just man. He's God. And my unbelieving friend, that's who we trust in, the living God, who came into this world, who had control over the seas and the sun, the stars, and over men, and over devils, and over the fish. Not just once in Peter's life, but at the end of Peter's life, after his death, his burial, and resurrection. You go home, read John chapter 21. Remember even when Peter denied the Lord. Peter went back to fishing. And then we read that even Peter was with his disciples again, and he was naked, living as a rough man, fishing again. When the Lord Jesus appears on the shores, he's ashamed and he jumps in the sea. Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing that night. This is the same Lord Jesus, my friends. The Lord who forgave him. The Lord who said to him, Peter, thou wilt deny me three times. And Peter did. And yet, Peter, I prayed for thee. Peter did repent. He wept bitterly. And the Lord did restore him. And the Lord gave him a great work to do. How merciful the Lord is. And you see, the Lord, you see, because he is a forgiving God. When the sinner truly cries out, Lord, save me. Now, why did Peter take his eyes off him? Well, because he was afraid. And believers, too, sometimes are afraid of the difficulties we go through. 
And let me say, my unbelieving friend, we still need to cry, Lord, save me. We're still weak. And when you come to faith in Christ, let me say, the problem is not the faith that he gives. It's the weakness of our hearts in which that faith resides. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning, no variableness. But the problem is our own hearts of doubt. But the believer cries out, save me, Lord. And the key thing is this, Lord. Now, my unbelieving friend, let me impress this upon you. Only God can save. Only God can truly save from trouble and tribulation, but only God can save the soul. Because only God the Son lived the life as a man that no man ever lived. And died in the place of his people. Only God could earn a righteousness that is perfect and spotless. Only the Son of God could obey the law. You know, everyone since Adam has been a breaker of the law. And God declares in his word, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, says the Apostle Paul. And then he says, but the gift of God... The gift of God is a gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. My friends, he's Lord, Lord of heaven and earth. But friends, he is only Lord if you bow down to him, really Lord in the heart. He said, there are many that will say unto me, Lord, Lord, let us in, open up. He was, I never knew you. You professed me with word and mouth, but I never knew you. Peter had to learn to put the nets out when he said, the nets, not just the net. And yet Peter also had to realize that even when he had done wrong and he repented, God was gracious and he forgave him. But you see, the one truly who is saved not only confesses his sin, but he repents of it. He turns from it and forsakes sin. And he says, Lord, save me. Now, I want to think about this word save. Here you, you can see, and I suppose the, the, the sea is, you know, we have it in Isaiah. Isaiah says, of the world and the wicked of this world, he says they're like the troubled sea. They can have no rest. And Peter, he needs, as it were, saving from the sea. And we have it in the book of the Revelation. I don't have time to develop it, but many times in the book of the Revelation, this world is pictured as the sea. But let me say this. The Lord Jesus is greater than the sea. Isn't he? He's greater than the sea. When we think of the sea, we think of that great abyss out there. And we should have respect for it. I grew up living on the sea, and I had to learn respect for it. My brother went out missing for a good few days on the sea. We were worried about him. Thought he was dead. 
My father always said you must respect the sea. But you see, friends, the world is restless. As Isaiah says, the wicked are as the troubled sea that can get no rest. And what is the real danger to the Christian? The world. We're told by John. The world. Because the world is screaming out there, there is no God. The world is living, as it were, a clenched fist in the face of God, saying, come down, if you're really God, come down. That's how they were at the Tower of Babel. Do you remember when they were building up that great, great tower? Let us reach up to the heavens. And what did God do? He confused the languages of the people and dispersed them all over the world. And the world is a troublesome place. Because there are many false gods in the world. And the world, we're told, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here I want to just think here, I know it's just a picture, but the sea represented a great trouble, didn't it, for Peter at this particular time. And if he sunk, he's fearing. And that's true for the Christian. Lord, save me. From this world, I see the evils of my own heart and my own propensity to go in the world. My friends, has God opened your eyes to see the dangers of this world? You know, when the Lord saves somebody, he comes to indwell their hearts by his Spirit. And this is why John says, He that is in you, is stronger than he that is in the world. We're told in Ephesians that the spirit of the, of the world and the prince of the power of the, the world, who is Satan, now works in the hearts of men. And we live in a God-hating world. We live in a Christ-hating world. Why is it? Ask yourself the question. Why is it that this world that is made by Jesus Christ, we're told in the scriptures, all things were made by him and for him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Why? Why on earth do the people in this world take Christ's name in vain? Is it because they love the Son of God? Would they take their own mother's name in vain? They never would. But they take the Son of God's Name And you better believe it, that the world does not love God. When he came into the world, we read John chapter 1 verse 10. He made the world, we read, and the world knew him not. Although he did many miracles, although he fed thousands, although he raised men from the dead, men did not want to believe in a God that would die upon a cross. Because the cross was an offense. And it is an offense. Cursed is any man that hangeth upon a tree. But my friends, that is the only way that God can save. He must become the substitute of his people. Now, Peter was saved here physically. 
But how would Peter be saved in the ultimate sense? Only by the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Peter says of him, he was the lamb. Peter writes to us and he tells us in 1 Peter that he is the lamb of God. Verily foreordained before the foundation of the world that he was holy and that his people have been purchased not with silver or gold but with the precious blood of a lamb without blemish. And my friends, that is the only way. Paul says to us in Romans 5, he says, by one man death and sin entered into the world but by another, Jesus Christ. He makes many righteous. And what does the sinner do? He cries, save me. He's sinking in his sin. He feels his sin, his weight of sin, and he's sinking down like Peter. It's, a, it's again a picture, I think, as well. It's a true event, but I think it's very analogous of the Christian life. And the Christian life is, is one continuous thing. Paul tells us that and Peter says, we shall receive the end of our salvation. We are being saved from this present world, my friends. As Christ gives us his word, we are kept in that narrow road. You know, we do believe that when the Lord saves his people, they are kept. But they are kept by means. Somebody says, well, I've seen people, they profess to be Christians, and they're no more Christians. And I've even heard people say, you know, I used to be a Christian. And I often say, my friend, you were never a Christian. Because the Lord Jesus said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I shall in no wise cast out. Now, many people have a mere outward profession. But the Christian is kept by the warnings of Scripture. What does the Lord Jesus say? If thy right eye cause thee to sin, pluck it out. He didn't mean literally. He meant if that darling sin that's got your right eye of attention, if thy right hand offend thee, what does he mean the right hand? Why the right? The right's always the favored. Something you favor. You, you give whatever is, becomes your darling sin. You have to put it to death. And you will. What does the person say when he is first being saved? Lord, save me. We read it in Joel 2. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter quoted those words. And that is a continuous thing in the life. Let me say to those of you who are either new in the faith... Well, the Lord is working in your heart. This is not something you do once in your life. But it is something that is true for the Christian. What did Paul say? Oh, wretched man. He's writing as a seasoned believer, Romans 7. Who shall deliver me from the... Paul, I'm not yet delivered from this body. Who shall deliver me from the body of this... He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Paul, I thought you were a saved man. Yes, I am. But why has the Lord saved me? To be like him. 
You see, where does Peter go? Peter heads straight for the Lord Jesus. There's so many, let me say, that they say they're Christians. And they're running around, falling down on stages and doing all kinds of strange things in the name of Christianity. And it's nothing but mockery. They're not concerned to walk with the Lord. Peter's one concern was, Lord, save me. And friends, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from their sins. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is not merely attending a church. And if you think that's what Christianity is, you're sorely mistaken. It is about coming, yes, to hear the word of God. That you walk with Christ. And that you be like Christ. That's the life he came to give. He said, I have come that they may have life and life abundant. And then beyond this life, my friend, there's everlasting blessing in the presence of the Lord. That's the Christian life. Here and thereafter. Is that your hope? You know, many people just want to get to heaven. But they don't want to be with Christ. Peter, he went straight to Christ. And that should be the desire of everyone that is saved. Lord, and you make it personal, save, look at the words, me. Not my mother. We'd long for our parents and other people to be saved. But I want to ask you the question, are you saved? It's a serious matter. You can comfort yourself here tonight. But are you saved? Peter was concerned, yes, about his body. But really, you know, Peter in the end, Peter went to a cross, didn't he? Upside down, as legend has it. Why? Because he loved the Lord. Because he was a saved man. Because he considered this world as nothing. And we meet, Peter met the Lord face to face, but we meet him in his word. Have you met God in his word? Have you been confronted with the truth that you are nothing like Peter? Peter fell down in the boat as he was confronted with the majesty of Christ. Depart from me. A sinful man. But you know what? The Lord never answered that prayer of Peter's. Depart from me. He stayed with him. And the, so it is too. Lord, he never leaves his people. Though we are sinners, he never leaves us. And we should always desire to be as close to him as possible if we're saved. If you're without Christ, my friend, it's a terrible state. For you live in this world. This world, like the sea, is very consuming. And it will never have rest. 
Only Christ can give rest to the soul. It is our prayer that God will call sinners to himself. We read there, didn't we, in Joel? And uh, you may be questioning tonight, well, what about me? We read there at the close of that reading, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and then the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, where does God call? Friends, it's in places like this where his word is preached. And the call goes out and we hear it. I'm a sinner. And the sinner responds by the grace of God. Lord, save me. I see this world and all it's worth. I see myself. Look at Peter, helpless, sinking. And my friend, men sink in their sin and they will sink to a lost eternity. But Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Amen.